This is Hashtag Authentic, a podcast for creatives online. I'm Sarah Tasker and this is episode 33. Hey everybody, so this week my guest is Laura Jane Williams, who I first met when we were both presenting at the Blogtacular conference a couple of years back. More recently, I saw on Twitter that she was offering an online course to help writers improve their storytelling skills. So I signed up for that and have really loved the experience of just dedicating some time each week to creative writing and to really focusing on that and getting outside of my comfort zone. She just writes so beautifully across any platform she turns her hand to, including the most exquisitely spellbinding Instagram captions. So I called her up for the podcast to dig into some of her secrets and to just get the story of her journey so far. Hi, is that Laura? Hello, 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 Sarah. How are you? I am good. How are you? I'm great. Thank you. Thank you for being on the podcast. Well, thank you for for thinking of me. I'm in esteemed company. So for anybody who's listening who hasn't come across you yet, would you like to give us a little intro to yourself and what you do? Oh, okay. Yes. God, this is my, I feel like Martine McCutcheon. This is my moment. (laughs) My name is Laura Jane Williams. I'm across Twitter and Instagram as Superlatively LJ. And I have a website called Superlatively Rude. I am a twice-published author. I had my first memoir come out in 2016. That was called Becoming, Sex, Second Chances and Figuring Out Who the Hell I Am. And my follow-up memoir, Ice Cream for Breakfast, came out in April this year about how getting published, my dream for 10 years, sent me totally bonkers because the only thing worse than chasing a dream is having a dream come true. And then I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. What do you dream about when the dream has been realised? So... I stopped writing for a little bit and nannied some local children and sort of reassessed what I wanted and ended up writing a book about that. I'm also, I used to be Grazia's dating columnist in my single days. I'm currently in the development stages of a TV show. Exciting. Yeah, I'm basically I'm a storyteller and I'm just looking for whatever medium suits the story that I want to tell. Sometimes it's a magazine article, I do a, do some journalism. Sometimes it's a book, you know, we're developing the TV show. Sometimes it's an Instagram caption, Sarah. Sometimes that's my, my whole story that I want to say can be boiled down into 50 words on a screen. I just want to be a good storyteller. So that's what I do in this very long-winded introduction. We all have those jobs, though, on this podcast. Nobody has a job that you can just put into a single word. It would be a very short episode. (laughs) Well, yeah, and I really have. I really have experimented with just self-identifying as storyteller. And people are like, yeah, but what does that mean? People need signposts Mm. to know how to think of you. It's not like being a plumber where people have an immediate concept of what it is you do. Yes. I, I suppose I should just say I'm a writer, But um, what is a writer these days? You know, we have to um, innovate so much. Mm. Well, with print changing so quickly, the whole concept of a writer is evolving. Yes, yeah. But then I'm not an influencer because I don't have this huge following. I have a very tiny following, but we're all very committed to each other. So, yeah, it's all... Oh, we've gone right into the deep stuff. It's all very interesting to me. Like, how how do you identify... Oh, I can't. I have to go through this whole list. <laughs> the rigmarole. <laughs> there is yeah. no elevator pitch at all. <laughs> Do you sometimes go to parties and just say, oh, I'm a primary school teacher? <laughs> yeah, you just lie. It's just not where <laughs> go. And then because everybody then goes and looks for you online and I find that really uncomfortable. Yeah, like whip their phone out right <laughs> there. Oh, yeah. let me follow you. Oh, yeah. you look different in your pictures. Yes. Those are my yes. good angles. Yeah. <laughs> the irony being that, you know, to be a primary school teacher, they're the ones that are setting the agenda and raising the minds of tomorrow and doing the important work. Exactly. They're the ones with the meaty tasks. And yet they're the ones with the succinct title. That's true. Well, maybe we just need to come up with one. Yes. Yeah. We'll put it on the to-do list. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We'll stick a pin in that. <laughs> Have you always been a storyteller slash writer slash whatever we're going to call you? Slash, slash, slash. Um, yeah, yeah, it just, I think humans inherently are, and I think particularly women are, and I don't think that's a 
you know, a gendered sexist thing to say. Historically, you know, it was the blokes went off that hunted and women that sat around the fire raising families, raising the children and talking to each other. Mm. I think we are storytellers, you know. I've introduced me to any woman who can't just even go to the supermarket and come back and say, well, what happened <laughs> was, you know. And, yeah, I suppose I what sets me apart from being everybody is that I made a conscious effort to hone the skills it takes to put those stories into writing. And I think part of that is just a sort of a natural inclination. And part of that is really fucking hard work. Like, I've dedicated my life to learning how to craft words on a page that tell a story in the best possible way. What steps does that involve? Did you study write creative writing at university? Sorry, that's just my bird, by the way, to everybody <laughs> listening. We have a budgie now, oh. and he's part. Of, he's going to just be part of the podcast. What's the budgie's name? Well, it's still a bit nameless because we're not sure of its gender. I don't know if that matters, but it matters to my four-year-old. Sure. So it's birdie for now. But yeah, or get a gender-neutral name. Yes. Just bird, yeah. Oh, lovely. Uh, welcome to the family, budgie. <laughs> what steps did I take? Do you know, I think I always knew I was a storyteller and I always knew writing was a passion as mm. I think so many of us do I remember getting to about 15 or 16 and thinking girls like me people like me didn't do that writing was very much other was something other people did probably more privileged people I don't know it just it did not seem at all accessible yes for me you know you watch these interviews with, you know, Denise Van Outen, say, and she knew from year dot that she was going to be a performer and had this absolute mm. self-belief. I don't know. Denise Van Outen, what a bizarre example to bring up. <laughs> but, like, I'm, I'm not some... I didn't know from dot all that I was capable of and nothing would stand in my way. I basically got to about 15, 16 and went, no, I think that's what other people who aren't me do. I relate to that so much. And so... I was really, really, really lost. I was really lost until I was about 22 and kind of had to, you know, I didn't go to university. I traveled on and off for, for four years and I think had to and worked shitty jobs to pay for this traveling that was enough to make me go, well, I tell you what, I might not know what I do want, but this is what I don't want. Mm. which, you know, we I think we underestimate the importance of that. And then, yeah, I got to about 22 and I met two girls from Leeds on a houseboat in Kerala in India. Wow. And they were like Northern and they talked like this and I just had no idea that people like me or in the North could actually go and do stuff that were clever. And they were going off to university and they'd gotten straight A's in their A-levels and had all of these dreams about what they were capable of. And it was really confronting. Like, we, we love stories about people who follow their dreams. But when, you are, when you're actually face-to-face -face with somebody with that kind of self-belief and self-determination, it really makes you confront your own inadequacies. It's, it's, I really had a crisis of confidence, but that pushed me to go actually, I'm very good at writing and I, and, and I enjoy it. And, and maybe I want to go to university. Maybe I want to study that. And so I remember coming back from that trip and sitting my parents down and, you know, very deliberately saying, I know you'll love me whatever I am, but I think I have to come out to you that I think I'm a writer. <laughs> and, <laughs> and yeah, I applied, I applied to university and I went, I think I was 22 or 23 and ultimately graduated top of my class. You know, I graduated with first class honours because I was 22 and I wasn't there to dick around. You know, I, mm. I'd got my dicking around out of the way. But even then, you know, so what? You have a first class degree in writing. That doesn't mean anything, really. I always joke the only thing a first class degree in writing ever, ever got me was bragging rights to say I have a first class degree in writing then I had to carve out a career for myself yeah they're not the same thing at all are they oh my god and I like I had an inkling of understanding about that I think because I went to university as I was a little bit older but I cannot imagine being 18 years old and being like right at the end of this three years I'll have a first class degree and also a publishing deal with <laughs> 
you know, Penguin Random House. Like, it's just, it just doesn't work that way. Yeah. So just very much step by step by step feeling. I've basically felt my career as I've gone. There's never been a big master plan, which is why it's so bit of this, bit of this, bit of this, bit of that. But that's that's the joy of it as well, I think. Like, it, it doesn't feel joyful in the moment sometimes because you don't <laughs> know. The joy. I think it'd be the joy and the terror. It's yeah, a, yeah. It's a knife's edge. It is, because you look back and you're like, oh, well, that's a, it's, it's become a beautiful story. It's really, you know, I found my path and it's going in this fluid way. Right, but in right. the moment, you're like, well, I have no idea what I'm doing. What's next? Yeah. I'll never work again. I'll never eat again. Yeah, yeah. This is me done. Don't yes. forget I ever existed. I've lost it. <laughs> it's interesting as well, like something you were saying there really resonated with me that kind of when you were younger, you had that sense of, yeah, this is what I'm good at. And then something about in the teenage years, it, it goes astray. And I think that's quite mm. a common story. Mm. Like I grew up with this world of Enid Blyton books where everyone has a talent and everyone just knows their talent. So Irene's good at music and Daryl's good right. at writing. And right. what's your talent? And I, in that world, was like, well, I'm a writer. I'm a good writer. And then you get into the teenage world and suddenly to have any any self-belief becomes like a dirty word. I don't know if that's a British mm, thing. Mm. Yeah, and, and like I say, after having my first book published and I just went, oh, my God, I don't, you know, this is awful. I like, got burnout and had low level anxiety and depression and so went and nannied these three local kids down the road and they like nursed me back to life with their childlike enthusiasm and self-belief and when my publisher came to me and said you talk about them so fondly online you know do you think there's a book in it I was like oh my god there is and, it, mm. and this book has done my second book did so much better than my first book I think because it really tapped into this idea that so many of us had of like have that um god yeah wasn't it all so much simpler then mm, when we knew what we wanted and we were just going for it yeah that we wore the sparkly dress because we just felt like it was a sparkly dress day and we inserted ourselves as the protagonist in our own stories and we ate to feed our bodies and ran around like lunatics and just had a walloping great time. Yeah, kids are so mindful. So I have a four-year-old and she's just, they don't have to practice mindfulness because they're in the moment all the time. All that, all that yeah. matters to them is the moment. Yeah. And possibly how long till Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's too long. <laughs> Which, you know, is great because ultimately you're always going to be fed, always going to be watered, always going to have a snuggly bed to sleep in. As an adult, suddenly you go, well, how am I going to have a snuggly yeah. bed? And is my snuggly bed snuggly enough and what, and what sort of a snuggly bed does everybody else have you know, <laughs> yes. we do we're only human aren't we it's fascinating so the the second book is ice cream for breakfast that's the one we're talking about there yes it is and that came out this year it did yeah there was nine months between my two books wow which like i'm still recovering from i don't i i you know i don't know anybody else who has done that well that's like having a baby back two babies back to back isn't it yes they call it an irish birth it was, it was irish books <laughs> just boom birth one ready with the next birth that one and what's your writing process like do, are you somebody who do you get writer's block i don't believe in writer's block because i think if you're planning what you're doing properly it's it's really especially like for a first draft it's paint by numbers. If you know that chapter one has to start here and end there, there's, I, I think, very little excuse for writer's block because it's just getting things in the right order. I think what is most of that, I, I think writer's block is a case of, and this is something that is only, I've only just sort of realised, is setting out to do your first draft is ultimately setting out to break your own heart. You have this magical idea in your head and no first draft will ever, ever, ever match that. Mm. It's so humbling. So as soon as you, you sit down and it's not coming out how you imagine in your head, I think that is what we identify as, as writer's block. But it's not. It's just frustration. And that's what I teach. I, I teach um, classes at like Stylist Live and Soho, the Soho group. And I teach online as well, as you'll know, because you did one. Yes, I did. You did. We'll get to that. But yeah, what I what I teach is I, I always give the invitation that, you know, your first draft should be pages of crap. 
And I think if you can get on board with that and know that the magic comes in the drafting and the redrafting, um, which is not, it's, that's not a new or innovative thing to say. That's what writers have said since, since forever. But yeah, writer's block not real. doesn't exist. Not if you plan. I'm not usually much of a draft person. I'd be interested in your take on this because I tend to wait and wait and wait and then it comes out pretty much fully formed and it just needs mm-hmm. tidying. And I find if I if I draft before I'm ready, what I end up doing, <laughs> that bird, what I end up doing is confusing myself because then I have pieces all over, pieces of bits that are good and pieces of bits that are not mm-hmm. and I'm trying to piece them together and it never feels whole whereas if i can Mm. sit and do it in one sitting it comes out really fluidly but there so are you referring to like shorter blog posts or yeah shorter things rather than definitely not like a memoir yes yeah Uh, and i i you know the process is different because i i can identify with what you're saying with the newsletter that i send out and like blog posts and and to some extent articles because it you know you're dealing with kind of 800 words give or take I think that's a lot easier. You know where it's going to start and finish and you've already, you know, you can plot it all out in the shower whilst washing your hair. When it comes to you, it comes to you. But definitely for longer pieces. You just need to sit down and slug it out. Plan, plan, plan. Yeah, absolutely. That's interesting. I'm meant to be writing a book at the moment. I say meant to be because I'm... um missing a lot of deadlines at the moment okay what so what do you mean meant to are you have you been bought have you been acquired? yeah yeah so I have a contract and I have an advance oh I didn't know that congratulations that's incredible well thank you but I the one thing I haven't got as many words on the page at the moment right so it's, it's getting there I think like I, I keep writing things but I have I wonder for me if it's because I'm so used to my writing, whatever form that takes, being on the internet where I can go in and change it mm. whenever I want. And mm. this is going to be on, on paper and it's going to go out to the world. And I keep finding myself trying to please everybody. And yeah, all sorts of questions that I'm not used to struggling with are kind of throwing themselves in my path. Crippling self-doubt and That's questioning it. for a writer. How, un- <laughs> how unusual. <laughs> how do you manage um, with self-doubt? I just think everything is cyclical and all I can do is my best. And, it, and again, this is something else that, that I teach in my workshops is like we are not our art. And if our art is received and we're told it's literally the worst thing since words were invented, in fact, we've taken crap to a whole new level <laughs> of crap that then that doesn't mean that you as a human are crap just the same as if somebody absolutely adores or it's collectively received as an absolute work of art it does not mean that you as a human are a work of art you made something good you made something bad that doesn't impact who you are as a person so i think it is really about self-kindness and you know unhooking from that praise and criticism cycle yeah exactly i you know i i i can only write what i can write and i can read as much zadie smith as i want to you know the biggest injustice of my life is that i am not zadie smith (laughs) but i'm just gonna make myself miserable if i keep wondering why the words on the page aren't zadie smith's you know i can only do laura jane williams and that has to be good enough. Well, and can I just say for anyone listening to this who who isn't familiar with your work that Laura writes so beautifully, so beautifully. Oh, uh, people say I can write and then I read what you write and I think I can't write. Like <laughs> this is writing. Oh. And what like just for people who want just a taste of what you do, I would say go and check out your Instagram because every one of your captions is a story and it grabs you from the first word. Like literally mm-hmm. you go on, I'm not, I'm not a big one for reading captions. I'm very, I've got a very short attention span. Oh, you shallow cow. <laughs> no, I know, I've confessed <laughs> my dirty secret, especially on Instagram. I'm there for the visual. I'm, I'm in a kind of sure. a short and stappy mindset. But I get to yours and the captions every time I'm, I'm there to the last word. You just grab us from the start. Oh, that's a beautiful thing to say. Thank you so much. Well, thank you for sharing those little stories. Like, how? Mm. what's the secret there? Is, is, is this just you or is there a strategy in place? Is that just me? Is there a strategy in place? I think I produce content, capital C. <laughs> I produce content that I like to consume. And I do think... 
social media in general is such a sacred space, but Instagram in particular really has the ability to raise us up or totally crush us. And I just took an Instagram break of my own for a couple of weeks because I just got to the point where I couldn't see the successes of other people when I felt like I was on a bit of an uneven keel myself. Mm. You know, Instagram really is great and can be very damaging, as we all know. So I consider it an honor if somebody's going to hit follow on me. I consider it an honor what I talk about um, in my workshops. But just as a general rule for life, I call it value for follow. And the way that I add value to my world, I think, is by telling the truth about my own existence. One of my favorite quotes is, you have to be brave with your life so that other people can be brave with theirs. I would amend that and say, you have to be truthful with your life so that other people can be truthful about theirs. Yes. And the truth resonates, doesn't it? As soon as you put it out there. The truth, yeah, it does. And do you know what that truth can be? Guys, I took a well-fit selfie today. <laughs> hit like, because I need the validation. Yeah. That That is as truthful and it, it makes us laugh. And because it's real, you know, I have done that. Like, guys, can we just talk about how awesome my tits look in this top? <laughs> like, you know, like the validation. <laughs> I think that's as as valid and, and gives as much value for follow as taking a picture I, I have this yellow armchair in my bedroom and it's just so seldom do I sit in the yellow armchair I prefer to sit across the room and look at the <laughs> yellow armchair it's the love of my life and so you know photographing the chair in a nice way and talking about what I'm listening to and what I'm feeling but not I'm not into like run on run on run on big captions if you can't see it if you can't see the whole caption at one glance on the screen, then it's too long. Oh, that might be part of the reason you hook me as well, actually, now you've said that. because Yeah, I'm not scrolling on a caption. Yeah. No matter who you are, I'm not scrolling on a caption. So no scroll captions, but more than just, you know, this guy. <laughs> heart emoji. Like, I'm just not, like, why? why would I like that? That says nothing to me the examples you've just given of the ones you do do are both really good examples as well yeah one of the things I talk about on my Instagram course that I try and get across not as well as you just have I would say is that you can be honest and you can tell the truth and tell relatable truths without it all having to be doom and gloom because people immediately might think oh well this is my business or it's my professional account sure I don't only want to say like I'm feeling really depressed or I've had a terrible night's sleep or whatever and those things are relatable and they are worth sharing too but they can be neutral things and they can be positive things as well the truth isn't always Mm. bad well uh, and and so much is so seldom black and white you know you can be having the best day of your life but you still have to take the bins out (laughs) you can be having the worst day of your life but you still get a free hot chocolate at Pret. And what I love is the juxtaposition of those. So as you're telling the story of your life, you know, you can say, I didn't sleep last night. But also, if the sun is streaming through your window in a way that can't help but make you smile, there's a juxtaposition of of two truths there that reveals something about humanness. And that's all I'm interested in, I suppose. All any of us is interested in is... Um, is connection and we connect over realizing we are all just humans and really are just all doing our best yes but it's it's how you package that storytelling I think that that makes a difference like you say nobody wants to scroll through you know didn't sleep hate my life da, 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 da. Um, that's what Facebook that's what following your friends from school <laughs> is for on Facebook <laughs> Instagram is not that place. You're on Twitter as well, aren't you? I am, yes. A very tempestuous relationship with Twitter. I was going to ask about that, yeah. how Have you got a preference, Instagram versus Twitter? It just depends. You can be, like, so flippant and stupid on Twitter and it gets retweeted a million times. And I'm like, oh, this is so funny that we can, like... I find Twitter very playful and very political. Yes. And, again, that juxtaposition, I think, is very powerful. I actually, so this year, I've really, social media has been a real sticking point for me. I came off Facebook 
um, and that happened in May. I got rid of it for a holiday and then just never got it back. And then my account has gone. So So I came off Facebook because it was just like another thing to to manage. So I was left with Twitter and Instagram. I've actually deleted the Twitter app from my phone. So I can only access Twitter through my browser, Uh. which can be very frustrating, like scrolling and things don't load properly. So it means I spend less time on Twitter which has been important for me. And then I did a little Instagram detox. I'm currently not Instagram storying. I used to love Instagram stories, but it just got to the point where I literally was not taking a shit without documenting it. And I just <laughs> I just thought, you know, I was doing it in a relatively entertaining way. And the feedback that I got on my Instagram stories was, was really lovely. You know, I would get off the 62 bus and somebody would stop me in the street and be like, oh my gosh, you're super relatively LJ and I love your Instagram stories and that's great. But yeah, it was starting to take over my life. Which is not what your life was. Well, you are a storyteller, hang on. (laughs) And that's just it. I just think there's absolutely, there's no universal truth. There's no universal rule. Sometimes I'm into it. Sometimes I'm not like, whatever. It's not that big a deal. And I think that's another real thing an honest thing as well. I I remember tweeting something about one of my least favourite things. I went on Twitter to slag off Instagram. <laughs> and, um, and saying, why are so many bloggers doing, like, what I hate is, like, the flashback photo where it's like, oh, take me back to Mykonos. Or <laughs> why aren't I having this croissant in Paris? Like, why do people do that? It's called Instagram. Inst- Insta. Like, the clue is in the title. Oh, it's no longer Insta, is it? It's not. And somebody said to me, well, if my grid's looking a bit unloved <laughs> or if I don't have anything to upload that day. And I, and I didn't get into it on Twitter. I thought, well, you know, all power to you. If you can identify that, then, then fine. But I just thought, well, so then what's the point? Because, again, how is that value for follow? If you're putting something up just to keep in the colour scheme or just so people don't forget about you, mm. how is that value for follow? How is that connection? That's just needing to show off needing to keep in the social media cycle and get your fix and yeah it's that then it becomes like an addiction you know one of my most liked photographs this year is the first photograph I posted after a break it's okay to have people miss you I actually think with the way algorithms are going there's there's some benefit sometimes to taking more time over it it used to be kind of if you posted every day you would grow faster and yes that's why so many people have got into that habit of like I have to post I have to post but Mm. it seems very different now with the algorithm Mm. yes that's that's a clever observation yes um absolutely And, and you know I suppose it's what you're there for if you're if you're an influencer and you need your grid to look a certain way so that some PR in an office can take a quick glance and say yes fits our aesthetic that's one thing but that you know the rest of us most of us aren't in the market for utilizing instagram that way we just want to it's a basic human need you want to see and be seen you want Mm. to know that you matter that's why we share parts of our lives We, we we want our lives to matter and we want other people to to validate that we matter so i just think do it in a with an awareness yeah i guess it's a it comes back to kind of your motivation and if your motivation to share is is genuine and, and is spontaneous then what you post will always feel genuine and spontaneous mm, connection are you doing it for connection or for validation and probably yeah that that's a very important distinction yes I think if we can just sort that out in our heads we'll all be okay on social media yeah and you know sometimes we get it confused and we don't always get it right fine but at least check in with yourself um that's a a really nice soundbite I might pull that one out for the quote in the uh, show notes that goes at the top lovely and yet one of the things I always say is like because I'll go through phases I'll go through phases where I'm on Instagram all the time and then I'm not there 
barely there at all but I just can't fake it I can't fake social media Mm. you know some people are like I post Twitter 12 times every day and I post to Instagram once every day and I get that why that works and I I get it as a strategy but I have to just go where my interest is and if I'm really into Twitter and the conversations I'm having on Twitter that will just take my time and my energy that I have for social media Mm -hmm. and it's all ebb and flow when I think it comes you know it comes back around you might have a week where you just obsess over Pinterest because you're planning a to redecorate the spare bedroom yeah and it all it all counts and none of it counts at all yes you know I wouldn't have a career without the internet but ultimately my career is is built on being honest and being transparent and so if that honesty is do you know what Twitter's really fucking me off right now I'm not bothered then fine I'll tell you what the one thing I can't stand though is uh, the big announcement. The big announcement <laughs> that I'm going offline. Oh, the flounce, the flounce. Even worse than the flounce is when somebody comes back and says, I feel so much better the time away. <laughs> As if, like, the rest of us were total dickheads for still being online <laughs> as this person had gone. Like, piss off, I'm not interested in, like, it's just such a non-thing to say. It drives me crazy. It's been around since, like, the dawn of the internet. I remember, like, when I was in my teens, like, quite an early adopter on, like, these forums on the internet, and people would do it then. I'm going to just have to take a break. And they'd go. So just yeah, just take a break. Just come back to that thing about it's all right to let people miss you. Yeah, and I tell you what, I had more text messages from friends during my Instagram hiatus, and that was really nice to go. Interesting. Oh, there are people in my life who they would just send a text like, "Oh, I'm missing you on Instagram. Just wanted to check in and see how things are." It wasn't like I had done some big cloak and dagger disappearing act and so desperately wanted people to call and text and see what was wrong. No, no. It it was more that I it really made me realize how much we 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 think we've connected with our friends, but it's passive because we've seen them online yeah. and it is it's passive so to get those text messages and to actually engage with friends on a back and forth where I go, well, fucking hell, I haven't called you either and I've got no idea what you're doing because I've, I've not been scrolling. That was interesting. Uh, you know, the, I'm not waiting that at all, but just as an observation, mm. it was interesting. That is interesting. Mm. You mentioned that the, you wouldn't have a career without the internet. How how does that come about? Was it via your blog? Is, is that where you started? Yeah, so as I finally found the courage to say, I'm going to give writing a go, I'm going to go to university, I'm really going to see what I can do with this. I had enough about me to identify that it is a very rare and seldom thing that you can get published simply by writing an amazing manuscript. I often joke I didn't, I wasn't sure if my talent was there to write an amazing manuscript that would get, you know, going back to Zadie Smith, you know, she was sold for six figures on 30 handwritten pages back in the day when publishing was all about boozy lunches and massive, you know, massive amounts of money being spent. Um, I knew that that was never going to be the environment that I would get published in, or I didn't believe that it would be the environment that I would get published in. So I was like, well, okay, what the things that I can control are, I will become the best writer I can be and I've, you know, I've got this three-year degree and I'm working with really great professionals and so I can do that, but also I can be building an audience to myself so that when I have written something I am proud of and I go to a publisher, I can say, look at all these people who already are interested Mm -hmm. in my words. And I had been following, I mean, like back in the day, there was Le Petit Anglais, who was an English woman working in Paris and anonymously blogging. I followed um, Single Mother on the Verge of a Nervous Breakdown. I think her name is Maria Roberts. And she had just gotten a book deal based on her blog, Heather B. Armstrong yeah. in the States, who is on Deuce.com. And I was like, okay, so I'll, I'll blog and, and build up a community that way. And yeah, it just went from there. You know, then Twitter came about. So we started tweeting and Instagram came about and, you know, I love one of my favorite things in the world is that people who have been reading me for 10 years will sometimes be like, I'm just so proud of you. And look, mm. I've watched you come from dot, dot, dot. And, and that's lovely, again, because it's very human to want to be seen and acknowledged, you know. And it's lovely that it's 
I, I find there's a lot of power in telling that story to people. Like people see it happen for you mm. and then they start to think, oh, maybe, maybe it can happen for me. Like your girls on the boat from Leeds. Right. Yeah. It's a bit of a catalyst to go, hey, she, she used, she used to be like a blogger like me and now she's got a book deal. So mm-hmm, what mm-hmm. can I do? Yeah. And I think that's why I try and be as transparent as possible about the journey as well. So when I became Grazia's columnist, I wrote a big blog post about how exactly that had come about. When I signed my agent, when I got my first blog book deal, when we signed the second book, I always try and document the process. And that's something that I got from Austin Cleon, who is a, yes. I think he's based in Texas. Do you, do you know Austin Cleon? I know him. I've, I'm always trying to nab him for the podcast. He's a very busy man. Ah, <laughs> uh, well, he like exploded, exploded, exploded. I say that. I think I first became aware of him in like 2012. So I say exploded, but that's a good, what, five, six years ago. I reckon the book that people will know of his is Steal Like an Artist. That's probably the one. Yes, which I think was like 2013. Yeah. Um, And then he did Show Your Working. Yes. And has this whole philosophy about how important it is to show process. And I really do feel like I have a community around me who have borne witness to. And I, you know, even having a blog, I talked very openly about how I wanted to publish a book. Um, and then how I was working on a book. So my initial, in February 2015, I got an email from Penguin Random House. Somebody from there had signed up to my mailing list, had been watching my stuff, (laughs) and then said, have you got something you can send us? Um, I sent her something, and then she said, can you get an agent? So I got an agent, and it didn't work out with Penguin Random House, but it was by definition of talking about what I was up to that Penguin Random House knew to approach me in the first place. Yes. So there's power in that. There's power in telling people what you're doing and what your intentions are. And that's actually double-edged advice because there is science behind if you tell people what you're intending to do, the immediate rush it sends the same hormones as actually like doing it Um, so then you're less likely to do the thing because you've kind of got all the glory because you've gotten all the glory yeah so I think again you have to be mindful but for me there was the element of well if I'm telling 40,000 monthly readers that I'm Mm. working on a book you better bloody write it I'd better be working on a book yeah (laughs) Yeah. for me there was an accountability act um, aspects. I can I can totally understand that and also I guess a little bit of validation thing in that if you tell 40,000 people and they don't go you are you think you're gonna write a book then yeah, maybe it's true. Well and that's absolutely it people were so encouraging and on the days where I didn't want to write and getting the message being like I can't wait to read your book and you'd go okay it is worth it there are mm. people out there who care you know I mean when I when I pitched for the dating column I did that under absolute cloak and dagger total secrecy and then retrospectively told people about that I mean that all happened very quickly anyway but then retrospectively told people this is how I did it this is how it happened well and there are some things like business things that you don't want to broadcast to the world you can't for all sorts of reasons yeah 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 exactly so people listening who don't perhaps identify themselves as a writer or a storyteller, Mm. but do recognise that it's a really valuable skill and maybe something they would like to improve at. Because I think we're all writing somewhere these days. If we're online, you're writing copy, you're writing tweets, you're writing Instagram captions. Mm. What would be your advice, your tips for people who are trying to make their writing more compelling, more engaging, more connecting? Big question, Sarah. Yes, if you could just fix that for everybody, that would be great. You know what? This makes me want to tell a story and the story is I gave a writing workshop at Stylist Live recently and my partner came we've not been together very long so he's never seen me kind of do my work and I really wanted him to come and and see me um Stylist Live was like 200 people so it it was the biggest audience I delivered a a workshop too and a big deal stylist is a, a big name it was such an honor and i'm in their anthology that's being published um next march and the way that stylists have championed me i am just so 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 grateful they're a great brand who pay properly too they yes. like they, they're a magazine but they have money yeah i've written for them online and, and they are one of the 
the best people to write for and work with. Yeah, they're, they're, I really have a, a lot of time for the, the whole shortlist family. In fact, shortlist, the, the stylist equivalent, but, but for men, I think is one of the most progressive and important male titles out there that they they employ the best journalists and tell stories in magnificent ways i digress so basically fabio came and watched me speak and and give this workshop on what i call micro blogging so my whole thing with giving value for follow on instagram and doing these thoughtful captions i call it micro blogging because i believe that blogging is largely dead Hmm. people don't you know link in bio exclamation <laughs> point ain't nobody clicking on your link in bio babe like we've got more people to scroll and stalk and so fabio came to this this micro blogging workshop and he had heard me talk about you know it's really about painting a picture of a moment it's about building trust in the people that see a series of moments so eventually when you say link in profile they're invested enough in you to to click through hmm. So what I talked about in this microblogging is, you know, like I said, I can take a picture of my chair and talk about what I can see, what I can smell, what I can hear. Anyway, Fabio, he lives two hours door to door from me and he was on his way over um, just on Friday night. And he had a he was doing some work on the train and he took a picture of an almost empty train carriage just over the top of his computer screen, his laptop screen. And he wrote something like, you know, when that Friday feeling builds in your bones and you try and get some last minute work done, you pause and look out as darkness falls and you see the lights of London in the distance. Something like that. Now, one, English is his second language. So anybody who can write in a different language just blows my mind. But two, I'd never, normally he's like, Hashtag London, hashtag <laughs> tube, hashtag, do you know what I mean? So like I knew, I knew it was like a little nod to me and micro blogging yeah. and what he'd learned in, in this course. But it really, I genuinely found it engaging content because I felt like I knew something about his state of mind in that moment, what he was doing in that moment. And to see somebody furiously getting in a little bit of last minute work on an empty train excited about a weekend but then articulating that for me was like this really human I could connect with that I was excited about the weekend too I was getting in some last minute work too so in far as you know tips for micro blogging it's just telling the truth about that moment or what that photo encapsulates about your day you know I one of my people still quote this Instagram caption to me, which is why I will now quote it to you. On one of Fabio and I's very early dates, and I was like single for 10 years and a dating columnist. So when I started to date somebody, people were as sort of mortifying as it was. People were invested yes. in, oh my God, I think Laura's dating somebody. Like the whole world is your mother. Uh, yes, yes. Because I'd been so open about being single for so long and my first book was about heartbreak and Mm -hmm. people cared and it was lovely to feel cared for. But one of my earliest photos kind of alluding to this guy was a picture of me and Fabio, like our hands on the stem of our wine glasses with a picture of our dessert at a local restaurant. And I was able to kind of like address what was happening in my life without directly addressing it. So I think I said something like, and knees knocked and necks were kissed. And as, you know, as we laughed and I touched his shoulder, he taught me how to suck the meat from the claw of a longestine and I wanted it to go on forever. People still will say to me, oh my God, Fabio, like, totally taught you how to suck the meat from the claw of a longestine. <laughs> like, what a bizarre thing <laughs> to remember. But it's a picture in your head, so it stays. It's a picture in your head, yeah. So, you know, we take photographs to remember what words can you write down to help you remember as well you know and like I say just don't make it too long it really enriches the picture as well like I I feel like in a scenario like that when I read the caption the next thing I do is scroll back up and look at the picture again with kind of fresh eyes yes because it's more context it's more story yeah it's uh, you know that's a gift and I think if you do it in the right way it doesn't incite envy or jealousy in a way that like some size six insta queen doing yoga doing yoga on a beach in wherever 
uh, and you look at it and you're like, oh, fuck off. <laughs> you, can, you can read something about necks being kissed and knees knocking with a picture of a really nice creme brulee. And there's something kind of like this mix of aspirational but attainable. Mm-hmm. You want that magic in your life too. And somebody who does that very well is Rebecca Wolf, who does Girls Gone Child. Yes blog she doesn't do many captions on instagram but her blogs always made me feel that way that i wanted that magic in my life and i knew that literally in that moment because of the way she'd written what she did i had the power to put that magic in my life and i would hope that is that's something that i think about every time i I post anything you know it's not about making people envious it's it's that human thing again about going fucking hell isn't life difficult and beautiful and magical and frustrating people are on board with that and and i think that's helpful yeah people are on board with that because they go yes it fucking is but also my eyebrows look great today (laughs) yeah (laughs) it's it's you know it's just it's everything it's funny how how few of us it comes naturally to to be that honest and open because you would think it was simple you would think telling the truth about what you're thinking and feeling should be the default but there's all these layers and one of the things I often when I coach people about their Instagram is people who almost kind of become corporate in their captions and they sometimes they'll say we when they just mean themselves and yeah (laughs) (laughs) and where does this come from what I guess is it are we having it role modeled to us I think um, we're all terrified of being laughed at. Mm. So uh, in in when you're very earnest, you open yourself up to ridicule is the fear. The reality is so seldom can you be earnest and met with anything else but kind of a, an open-hearted response. But we fear being laughed at. We fear being ridiculed. So at least by, you know, you see it in the most obvious example is businessmen who who have to wear the suit and, and be serious and, and, and use all the right language and do all the right things, lest anybody think them a fool. Mm. Well, that struck me about Fabio. Him, the vulnerability for a man to write a caption like that feels like an extra step. Yeah. Oh, well, he's Italian, so he gets away with it. <laughs> um, but yes, no, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And actually, now that you've said that, I couldn't name you a male microblogger. Mm. So if anybody out there... I have one. Do you? Go on. I have one. Jono Smart, and he's... We actually did a podcast episode with him in season one. Ah. And he is... He'll probably be listening, so hi, Jono. He's hi. really open about his mental health struggles mm-hmm. because he's bipolar. Um, mm. So he... Yeah, he talks about his work. He's an amazing uh, ceramicist and potter. And he talks mm. about his work, but he also kind of talks about, yeah, his life. And, and I think it helps that he's an artist and it, it yes. helps that he's kind of been through that process of mental health and realise how important talking is. Yeah. And, what, and, and, and actually what I will say is, you know, we're all terrified of being, being laughed at. And I, and I suppose this is interesting getting into kind of like the... the Uh, masculine storytelling versus feminine and I say both of those things in inverted commas actually don't you want to hang out with the with the guy or the girl that like gives a shit Mm. so like when people put that you know I recently um I spent months deciding what to put in a frame above above my bed so when I do finally sit in the yellow chair I can look up and and see something (laughs) um, rather than looking at the yellow chair and I fell in love with a Tamara de Lampica print, uh, La Belle Raffaella. And I wrote about it in my newsletter and then I also Instagrammed about it. And the reception, everyone went wild because I really waxed lyrical about this particular print and this image and why it touched me and gave some background. And and that resonated with people. It wasn't, it's exciting to be around excited people. Yes. So when people give a shit, it makes you give a shit. Even if people couldn't care less about La Bella Raffaella, maybe they suddenly go, well, what am I looking at? And, oh, I've got that lovely postcard I think I might frame. Or, you know, it, we, we like enthusiastic people. Like, enthusiasm is hot. It's contagious. 
Yes, it is. I think there's an Amy Poehler quote that I'm going to just bastardize now where she sort yes. of says that. Yes, that like, she does. She's done with being around the cynical people and the people who laugh and roll their eyes. She wants to be with the people who celebrate and do and... Get excited. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And that's the thing. If, you, if you're turning off the people who roll their eyes... I mean, I come from a, an entire family of people who roll their eyes at everything I do online. Mm. And so I, I'm very aware of it, but I kind of think, oh, good, it's not meant for you. And if you're reading this and turned yes. off by it, good, because y- you shouldn't be here. It's not for you. Yeah. And, and that's what I've always said about, you know, I have a very modest online presence, but everybody who is there is fucking on board with it. Like, yes. I, I don't get trolled. I don't get any kind of hate follows. Everybody who is there is 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 on board with the message. And I would rather have a a smaller group of people who are part of the gang than numbers for the sake of numbers. It's like panning for gold. That's the analogy I always use. There you go. It's panning for gold. You just want the sparkly ones left. You don't yeah. need all that mud and stuff. <laughs> no, no. There'll, there'll be somebody else's diamond, just just not mine. Yes, yes. Oh, how poetic of it. It's so poetic. We're, we're so poetic. We should, we should be writers. <laughs> we should. I'll look into it. <laughs> so to kind of uh, steer us towards a close, you have recently started doing a newsletter on your blog, via your blog. I have, yes, as a way to experiment, again, with different kinds of storytelling. So it's not like, hey, I'm doing this and I'm up to this. It's a way to slide into you know inboxes are intimate things they sure are and the regular listeners will know that i am i am an advocate of newsletters because it is a really direct connection with people yeah and i don't you know i don't sign up to a lot i have to really want you in my inbox my inbox is full enough already um so it's just another way to explore telling stories i write newsletters different to how i would do for example blog posts or anything else um, and it's called How to Eat an Elephant, because growing up, my father taught me you can do anything one bite at a time. Ah, oh, I love that. Yeah, so it's tinyless.com forward slash how to eat an elephant. I will make sure we stick links to that and everything else we've talked about thank you. in uh, the show notes. Laura Jane, thank you so much for talking to us. Of course, of course, of course. It's been my pleasure. Thank you so much. And if people want to find you, they can look for It's Superlatively LJ on Instagram and Twitter. That's right, isn't it? It is. I can't guarantee I'll be on Instagram or Twitter. Who knows what mood I'll be in? But (laughs) hit follow. And when I'm there, I promise to give good value for it. And do pick up one of Laura's books if you can, because... Like I said, her words are just so beautiful. You will be mesmerised. Well, yeah, do you know what? I've earned out my advance for the second book, so I get money on every there book bought now. So I'm like... Buy them for everyone for Christmas. Ice cream for breakfast, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's a beautiful book. Think about investing. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you, Sarah. Show notes for everything mentioned in this episode are at meandorla.co.uk forward slash podcast 33. And Laura and I are both really eagerly awaiting your responses online, whether you're listening to this on the day it goes out or three years down the line. I will be back next week with a solo episode focusing on a bit of an Instagram strategy update. So I hope you can join me for that. Have a great week. Mm-hmm.